indigenous Japanese monkeys, species uh, Mukata fuscata, also known as the uh, snow monkey, were observed for a period of over 30 years. In 1952, on the the island of Koshima, scientists were providing monkeys with sweet potatoes dropped in the sand. The monkeys liked the raw sweet potatoes, but found the dirt unpleasant. An 18-month-old female named Emo found she could solve the problem by washing uh, with uh, salty ocean water. She taught this trick uh, to her mother. Her playmates also learned this new way and taught it to their mothers, too. This cultural innovation gradually was picked up by various monkeys. Between 1952 and 1958, all the young monkeys learned to wash the sandy sweet potatoes to to make them more palatable. Only the adults who imitated their children learned this social improvement. Other adults kept eating the dirty sweet potatoes. Then something startling took place. In the autumn of 1958, a certain number of Koshima monkeys were washing sweet potatoes. The exact number was not known. Let us suppose that when the sun rose out, there were 99. Let's further suppose that later that morning, the 100th monkey learned to wash potatoes. Then it happened. By that evening, all the monkeys were washing their sweet potatoes before eating them. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Well, this is the last in our series. I think it's been uh, four or five weeks on what we've called getting the message out. Um, Over the last four weeks, we've been really identifying the core messages of the chapel. And I sort of identified them as the need to transform pain into love. That is the first message, that whenever we feel emotional pain, we shouldn't blame others for it, but instead turn it around and somehow express love in return. As something we coined the phrase of emotional photosynthesis, the idea of taking that heat and turning it into something else. And the second message that I identified is one of inclusivity, the message of the chapel, that we express ourselves here as part of a wider community that includes everyone, moving from the concept of us and them to one of just us, and us that includes everybody. And to that end, last week, we looked at the nature of compassion, and that our world is suffering from the effects, really, of the industrialization of fear, Fear is driving us to make a business of incarceration, militarization, and now even a business of diplomacy. We will only do something for others if they do something for us. And I was suggesting that the answer to all of this really lies in compassion, being willing to feel the pain of others, which leads to understanding 
which leads to empathy and then education and the willingness to help. That idea of a movement, compassion for others rather than judging them or naming them or alienating them. Because if we don't help solve the problems of others, then I'm suggesting that those problems will ultimately be visited on us in a way that will be infinitely more difficult to deal with. And I spoke last week of the madman coming towards us with a knife. And that really we needed to deal with that with compassion before the event, rather than wait for that event. And in response, actually, David Floria sent me, I always like to receive sort of poems or information, just helps me. My, David Floria sent me this wonderful poem by Hyphis, uh, which really speaks to that idea of the uh, compassion. Once, this is the poem, once a young woman said to me, Hyphis, what is the sign of someone who knows God? I became very quiet and looked deep into her eyes and then replied, My dear, they have dropped the knife. Someone who knows God has dropped the cruel knife that most people so often use upon their tender selves and on others. So having, I think it's a lovely description of dropping the knife, but having faced the imperative to drop the knife, and that's what we're talking about, the imperative, the idea of dropping the knife, to have compassion for all, to deal with ISIS, to stop conflict and war, to heal the world. The question is then, Lest, you know, what on earth do I do? What can I do to make a difference to all of that? How can I make a difference to anything? You know, I could be nice to my family, I can be nice to the checkout guy at City Market. I can try to give generously to huts for vets and to the homeless people and to people in need. I can try not to judge others who I see as behaving badly. But honestly, what difference will that make? How does that actually affect anything? Well, there is an answer to that question, and I'm afraid for the answer, we have to go right back to the Big Bang again. And I know I've gone over a bit of this before, but it's worth revisiting, that we are all part of evolution. And the evolution I'm talking about is not about the one that grows an extra thumb for texting. It's not that type of evolution that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the evolution of consciousness. However you look at it, everything started with the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. And that was the beginning of the cosmos or literally, the ordering. That's what that word means, the ordering. And over the last 13.7 billion years, the cosmos has been ordering itself in such a way that those carbon atoms that flew out of the Big Bang finally came together to make life. And that life finally came together to make you and me. We became the universe made conscious of itself. And that ordering that began with the Big Bang has ended up with us all looking out at the world and saying, wow, look at that. Look at that world. We are part of the universe appreciating itself. There was a latent consciousness in those carbon atoms 
right at the beginning of the Big Bang, a latent consciousness that developed and evolved, and as it did so, brought itself together to make more and more complicated forms of consciousness, and we are all the end product of that. We are the end product of that. We are the flower of it all. And now, even going beyond that, we are able to become aware of that even deeper consciousness within ourselves, that essential consciousness that was there in those carbon atoms at the beginning. Over the centuries, meditation, prophets, Jesus, scriptures, Buddha, Muhammad, wisdom, prayer, have all facilitated an understanding that we are able to access that deepest level of consciousness, the one that permeates all life. We've come to understand that the kingdom of heaven is within us, that I am within us all. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am, which is God. That as B. Griffiths puts it, <clears throat> the goal of every religion is the same. Not every religion is the same. The goal of every religion is the same. It is the absolute transcendent state, the one reality, the eternal truth, which cannot be expressed, cannot be conceived. This is the goal not only of all religion, but of all human existence. So if you want to know what your purpose in life is, it is to experience this, to know this. It is the goal of all human existence. Whether they like it or not, all men and women are continually attracted to this fundamental transcendent truth. The intellect, in and beyond every formulation by which it seeks to express its thoughts, is in search of the absolute. The intellect is made for being itself, for truth, for reality, and it it cannot rest satisfied in any partial truth or in any construction of the human mind. It is always being carried beyond itself to ultimate truth. That's what B. Griffiths says, talks about humanity and the intellect. We have become aware of this infinite truth and that each of us are part of it. As the Upanishad says, in the heart of all things, of whatever there is in the universe dwells the Lord. In the heart of all things, of whatever there is in the universe dwells the Lord. He alone is reality. And the Tao Te Ching says, approach it and there is no beginning. Follow it and there is no end. You can't know it, but you can be it at ease in your life. Just realize where you come from. That is the essence of wisdom. Realizing where you come from, realizing that essence we are all at that point in the evolution of consciousness where we are able to realize ourselves as an expression of one consciousness that created all. Matt, I'm booming a bit on the microphone if you want to just deal with that. We are at the point in the evolution of consciousness where we are able to realize ourselves as an expression, each of us, an expression of that one consciousness that created all that each of us has within us the same spark that was in the Big Bang, that actually was in Buddha, the same spark that was in Jesus, in Muhammad, in Lao Tzu, in Moses. We are that. And interestingly enough, not only are we are that, but we are that equally. 
we are that equally. As Lao Tzu said in the reading a few weeks ago, everything in the world is equal. However, the direct perception of this equality is blocked by our mental constructs. In other words, our insistence on naming this or that, of us saying that this or that is so. We do that and we say we're not all equal, but the truth of the matter is that we are all fundamentally equal. In reality, you are equal to Christ, to Donald Trump, to Buddha, to Hillary Clinton, to Theresa May, to the Dalai Lama, to Mother Teresa. In reality, we are all equal. Now, I know that's difficult to get a handle on, but you know, we see others as much more powerful than ourselves a lot of the time because you know, we, we see it that because we say it's that way. We've been told the story and we tell the same story to ourselves and others that makes out that I'm just little old me and mighty Lord Jesus is out there. I am little old me, that mighty Buddha is out there. But in reality, we are all equal. We are all uniquely an expression of the divine. And we all play our role in the development of the whole. No role is greater or more important than any other. It's so difficult to get this, but you know, just like no planet is more important than any other. That Jupiter, much more important than Mercury, I mean, it stands to reason. You know, Jupiter, Mercury, which one are you going to go for? They're the same. Yeah, the element potassium, much more important than Mercury. I mean, really, when you come down to it, they're all equal. They're all just a part of a whole. You know, get rid of bees and see how the world works. None of us is any more important than any others. And so, what you do matters. What you do matters. Your consciousness and the way you express it matters. Not only that, but it has an effect on the whole. We don't know how or why or when, but it does. It has an effect. I mean, look at the Terminator. Sarah Connor did not realize how important she was until Arnie came crashing in from the future and told her that the world depended on her son surviving. Now, those of you who have not seen the Terminator, I've lost you here already, and, and I know that, but... But I hope you see the point. You know, who's to say that in 300 years' time, Ward's descendants might invent a way of bringing peace to the world? Now, where are you, Ward? Yeah, we don't know that. There's little old Ward, you know. <laughs> it won't be 300 years. But who's to say that it's not going to happen? You never know. You don't know what you don't know. And one of the things we don't know is how we matter. You know, I love that thing that Mao was asked. Chairman Mao was asked what he thought of the French Revolution. And he said, it's too early to tell. <laughs> I mean, you don't know. I mean, look, what do you think Hitler's great-grandfather thought? You know, he's making his shoes. 
He was just like you and me, just doddling along with his job. You know, he didn't think of himself. Yeah, but did he know that his great-grandson, you just don't know what effect. I like the idea, you know, I like the idea of being, you know, told that I am the one that will welcome the Messiah. And we all like that thought, that we will welcome, Aspen Chapel will welcome the Messiah. Well, in my own mind, that means going out and shaking the Messiah's hand and saying, hi, Messiah, welcome to the world, welcome to this house. (laughs) However, in reality, I might just be the doormat he walks over with the word welcome written on it, (laughs) or the doorframe, or the cushion on the chair he sits in. I might have talked to someone who talked to someone who talked to someone. You know, it's all we don't know the way our role exists. All we know is that all lives matter. All we know is that all life matters. And that our life matters as much as anybody else's. Because we are, each of us, a part of that divine consciousness just as much as anyone or anything is. Or anyone else's. We are just as much. So what you do matters. And how we are being matters. And whether we are kind or not matters. Because all of it's feeding a greater consciousness that we are part of. We are all feeding that. Your space, your life matters. And so we need to treat our lives as if they do matter. Our meditation is important. How we treat others is important. That we practice emotional photosynthesis is important. That we recognize that there are no others is important because we are each of us part, a part of the evolution of consciousness. We are each of us part of that. And like that hundredth monkey, like that hundredth monkey, our bit adds on to all those other bits and consciousness is transformed. But actually it goes further than that. In reality, let's face it, In reality, there is only you. In your experience, Barbara, all of us are living out here in Barbara land, aren't we? I mean, really, you are the only one that experiences life. And we are all just extras, you know. The only person who really experiences it is you. And Julie, the same with you. You're the only person that really experiences this life, aren't you? You know, we're all out here. And Ward and Annie, you are all individually it. And, and you contain us all. It is just like the Truman Show. It's just like the Truman We're all extras in Ellen's show. I mean, Ellen has never experienced anything else but us waving at Ellen. You know, all of us out here are just extras in her life. We, we pass by Ellen, we say hi, we chat, we camera, but in reality, everything is her life. You are the consciousness that holds it all in your life, and you know it. You hold all of us, all of Aspen you hold, all of the world. You hold Isis, all of the space and all of the planets. They are all happening within your consciousness. Some, you know, the trouble is that in some way, you know, all of us experience ourselves being at the center of the world. We are the sun around which everything else orbits. And yet, we convince ourselves that this is not true. We convince ourselves that the Pope is more important than we are. 
We convince ourselves that Bernie Saunders is more important. We convince ourselves that Terry is more important than we are. We convince ourselves pretty much that everybody else is more important than we are, that we should jolly well know our places. We convince ourselves that we're not important and we don't matter, when in reality that is not our experience. In reality, that is not our experience. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should go around dictating to our world what should happen. You know, mad people do that. They go around thinking that they are the world and you know, they know all the answers and they should order the world the way that they wanted to. You know, that's madness. What I am suggesting is that in reality, we know that we can have an effect on the world. We know that we can have an effect on the world and that we do have an effect on the world. The question is, still, if we do have an effect on the world, what do we do? I'm giving you are the source of all things and everything is around you. And what should you then do as dictator of the world, of your world? Given that I am that dynamic Jesus living in the Roaring Fork Valley, what would this Jesus do? And the answer is nothing. The answer is nothing. To have an effect, there is nothing that you have to do. You just have to show up. That's all you have to do in your life. You just have to show up. As Mother Teresa said, show up, just show up and things happen. That's all we have to do. And most of us don't even do that. Most of us don't show up. We think, we hide, we avoid, we fear, we grieve, we worry, 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 and we're not present. Present Being present is showing up, and it is the real presence, that consciousness within us, it is that which transforms the world when it can get through. It is that which transforms the world, that presence which just allows the reality of consciousness to shine through. It will do the rest. You allowing that presence through is all you have to do. Rely on nothing so that nothing can do its work. Rely on nothing so that nothing can do its work. That great quote from Buddha, O seeker, rely on nothing until you want nothing. O seeker, rely on nothing until you want nothing. Anything else, anything else is just the ego trying to control. Even trying to be like Jesus, what would you, I mean, you know, it's all the ego trying to work out what to do, and it creates the separation. That it, doing that creates the very separation and naming that we're talking about. What we're after is what Lao Tzu calls indiscriminate virtue, a virtue that does not discriminate. I, I always think it's so interesting that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and, Adam and Eve were asked to not eat of the tree of the the knowledge of good and evil. They were asked to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, don't know what's good or evil. In other words, just let it happen. Our role is not to decide. 
Homicide is killing a man. Fratricide is killing a brother. Deciding is killing off the alternatives. Our role is not to decide. Our role in life to make a difference is to be present, to have our presence felt and to know that matters, to get out of the way. That, the work we do, the work we put our lives into by being present will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. And that fruit is the fruit that will heal the world. By showing up, by being present, that is the fruit that will heal the world. Always good as a pounding minister to quote Revelation. Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the river of the water of life, true, pure consciousness. That's what it is. True, pure consciousness, the river of the water of life. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The product of the river of life, the product of that consciousness is for the healing of nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. This is the second coming. There will be no more night. There will be no need to light the lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is what we're here for. To show up, to be present, to have that water of life come through. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that we may be empty vessels that you will shine through, that we will be able to show up in our lives to our families, to our friends, to all those around us, that you will bring about that transformation in our communities, in our families. We pray for that in the world, in all the trouble spots in the world, in all the difficulties. We pray that that consciousness may shine through. Oh, we pray for our town today, all the visitors at President's Weekend. We pray for the safety on the ski slopes. We pray for those working lifts, ski patrol, all those up and down the country. We pray, Lord, for our town, we pray for our state, we pray for our country. And Lord, we particularly pray for those who are in difficulty at the moment and struggling. We particularly think of Patty Harris and her family, the death of her father. And still think of Tom Hirsch, family of Charlie Tripp and Jill Sheely. Think also the family of Ryder, who is a young chap from Shining Stars who died recently. And those in our community we know, particularly Matthew Greenland, recovering from knee surgery, Galen Gatsky, Shelley Franklin's sister Melanie, Tracy Houston, Anne Hodges, Kristen and Paul Mayer, Val Kit Karlberg, Will Welsh, Barbara Orcutt, and Patricia Hill. Lord, we ask you to especially touch those people, all those people now that we mention and think of in our minds who we know need your help. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.